supersonic. 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 Welcome to Supersonic Hospitality Marketing with me, Mark McSee, where we meet the most interesting people in hospitality, marketing, business, and beyond to hear tips, tricks, and tales to help your brand boom. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. Hey there, my name is Paul Barron. I'm the founder of I Am Donna. We are the restaurant chain on a mission to revolutionize the kebab. In 2016, we opened our first site in Leeds with massive ambitions to go global. But first, we needed a change. Being a chef, I've always been a bit skeptical about being pushed down the technological route. But what it's done for labor and customer service has completely changed the game for us. We partnered with Vita Mojo to introduce their all-in-one restaurant platform. We now take 100% of our orders digitally through kiosks, click and collect and delivery channels. We've waved goodbye to the manual processing of delivery orders as we now have all our delivery partners integrated through VitaMojo. We only need to do one menu push when updating menus across all platforms. Orders from all channels come into one screen in the kitchen making the operation faster and more efficient. The throughput is four times faster and we've seen a 35% increase in ATV. Our partnership with VitaMojo has transformed I am Donna. It's a massive part of our revolution. Find out more at vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. Hi, just before we get into the show proper, I had a message from our silver sponsors, Creventa. I was at an awards ceremony the other evening in London and it was fabulous, but I'm now, due to some health issues, a painful guest to invite. I'm now alcohol-free, dairy-free, gluten-free and many, many other things. And that means that when you're going to an event, you can feel a bit of shame as a guest when you are responding to someone that's collating all the menu requests because you don't want to give them too much hassle. And just thinking about it, actually using something like creventa.com would have made it a far better experience for me and for the team that were collating hundreds and hundreds of menu requirements and also thinking about them passing that on to the chefs, the venue, the waiters, the teams over there to make sure that the guest gets exactly what they need and they have the experience that they want. So if you're hosting any corporate events or indeed your venue hosts many, many of these parties, weddings, celebrations, I would really, really recommend getting in touch with Creventa.com. Creventa really is the answer to all of your problems as they have a seamless system that lets you email or text all guests individually to then get them to pre-order their food and drink plus create your table plan with their drag and drop system ensure that all the details and payments are correct plus it really feels great when you get to the table and there's a super clear menu table name placement there which then says everything that you're going to be eating and flags at a glance any allergens or guest dietary requirements that you might have. Creventa helps your guests have the best experience which will be long remembered which means great word of mouth and great repeat business. You'll get booked again and again and again. 
it will give you huge benefits as a host or as a venue and from as little as £99 per month per venue you really have a seamless experience at your fingertips. With Creventa you'll not only save time, money, staff, resource and omit any human errors because we can do that sometimes you'll also help the planet by reducing food waste by around 18% which is massive so if you host, hold or run events you need Creventa just go to creventa.com now to experience the future of seamless event hosting Hello, how are you doing? So proper episode time we have been enjoying the dulcet tones, experience, energy and wisdom of some of our greatest chefs over the last few weeks. So I hope you've enjoyed those many bonus episodes and thanks to all of them for doing it. Angela Hartnett, Tom Kerridge, Thomasina Myers, Nathan Outlaw and of course Raymond Blanc. So although I was having a little rest, which was nice, I'm now back for the final three episodes of season five and then we'll probably take a wee break, chill out for a bit and then we might be back towards the end of the year. Today's guest is just an absolute joy and it's Rita King who is, wait for it, Honorary Secretary to the All-Party Parliamentary Beer Group. I was introduced to Rita through Emma Heal at Lucky Saint who is just one of the greatest humans that ever walked the earth. Emma got in touch and said, you have to meet Rita. I've just met her. She's one of us, which means one of the good guys. And you're going to have so much to talk about in terms of the roles that you both have, the stakeholders that we all interact with, and also the common challenge that we've all got, recruitment. I had the best call with Rita and the best introduction. And to be honest, I wish I'd just recorded that because it would have been such a fabulous podcast. But I didn't. So I asked Rita if she would kindly offer up another hour and a bit of her time to have a wee chat. We arranged something a few weeks ago, but there's a lot of work being going on in my wee area of Brighton. So as soon as I put the mic live, there was a pneumatic drill or there was a scaffolder. So we had to then postpone and then... uh, forked out, which was hard for a Scotsman, for a lovely podcast studio in Middle Street in Brighton, where now I record quite a lot of my podcasts, Brown Bear Audio, if anyone's ever looking. So here you go, here is Rita, it's a really interesting episode, just because I don't know about so much of this stuff, and I'm hoping that you'll all learn something too. It gives me the most all hail to the ill pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is Rita King. Deep breath. Honorary Secretary to the All-Party Parliamentary Beer Group. Hello. Hello, Mark. Hi. It's great to be here. <laughs> Factually correct? Factually correct, yes. I know it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> I just had to have a little break between a sip of Diet Coke. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for doing this. And I'm so sorry we postponed before. I was saying to you, um, the entire cast of the village people have descended on Regency Square and they've decided to rip it up uh, as soon as I'm about to do anything with a microphone. So that's what's going on. So we've got this high-tech podcast studio um, in uh, in Brighton and I'm actually having to stand up for this. Um, So I can't be lazy and hopefully full of energy um, because it's a standing Scandinavian desk. (laughs) So uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of looming large on the screen for you. So it's a little bit weird. Um, so we got to meet each other through the lovely Emma 
at Lucky Saint. And with Emma, and she'll blush, just basically any time I come into contact with Emma or I see a post from LinkedIn, it just radiates humanity, good vibes, goodness. And you just think you're so chuffed that people like that exist because so many people are drains in our lives. And she's just one of the biggest radiators. And um, she wrote to me and said, uh, you've got to meet Rita. She's one of us. And that was it. And we did. We did. We did. (laughs) Thank you, Emma, for that. (laughs) And we had a phone call, which actually just wish we'd recorded, which would have saved you doing this, because we talked about so many good things about um, obviously what you do and your role at the at the beer group. And then on top of that, um, we were having positive rants about, you know, what we could do to get more people into hospitality and more people interested and all that sort of jazz. But from meeting you, I didn't know much about the APPBG. <laughs> um, and I thought it was a good idea for more people and the listeners to know about it. Um, because I'm even thinking about my nearest and dearest clients that, you know, maybe haven't been in touch with you or haven't been as close to you, or um, they maybe know about the BII, they know about UKH, they know about BBPA, and this is maybe just something, you know, that's just been off radar for them. So I thought it was just a really good way for people to hear about um, the group and also to hear about you and your history, because it's rich as well, um, which is really good. A funny thing, um, just quickly when we're, we're going into your history and all that I did a podcast the other day and I hadn't researched it terribly well because um, I quite like it being quite natural and you know and if I'm surprised at something I'm surprised rather than it being loaded and anyway I was interviewing this um, amazing uh, leader in, in the hospitality industry and I said oh how'd you get into hospitality and she said oh um, I was a NASA scientist launching spaceships like into space and it was like Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's not talk about hospitality at all. This sounds fascinating. Um, so yeah, I was genuinely like, wow. And then for the rest of the podcast, I was just completely in awe going, oh my God, this is, you know, we're so lucky to have people like that in, in our industry, you know. But anyway, not to set you up for a fall. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I can follow that. <laughs> so um, yeah, but how did you end up uh, where you've ended up? Um, yes, yeah, interesting, really. Um, I never really planned. Uh, I never really planned to come into the industry. I, I actually studied French and Italian at university, um, and people I've met over the years who who've ended up following that public affairs trajectory that I have have usually done something like history and politics. So uh, you know, I'm I'm a bit of an outlier in that respect. Um, I had a stint um, when I left university. I went into public service, so I've worked. I worked for a local authority, and I, I worked in the NHS for a while. Um, but then I worked for my first trade association, which was the Textile Services Association, which is laundries, dry cleaners and textile rentals. So mm-hmm. it was it was interesting. Yeah. So that was my first experience of a membership organisation. And interestingly, um, has ties with with uh, with the hospitality sector in terms of textile rental and, and so on as well. And, and even the structure is quite similar in that um, the laundry the laundries, for example, are usually a couple of hundred years old, a bit like the family brewers. Um, yeah. So there's, you know, there's a little bit of crossover there. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I had my opportunity uh, just over twenty, just over twenty-five years ago now. I think it was. Um, I, I applied for a role at, at the British Beer and Pub Association, 
and uh, well, the British the British Licence Retailers Association, as it was called at the time. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it probably had an old name back then. Yeah, yeah, much worse name. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I have to say for for Emma and the gang now as well, I think the new uh, brand identities really smart you know and sometimes you you know see brand identities for anyone and you go god what have they done and uh, you, you just saw it and you thought god that just looks modern and now and in, in and in a you know forward-thinking organization so i think it looks fab yes no it's great um it really, really is a, a great update um so yeah so i'm i'm that that was that was my that was my sort of baptism into the sector really i i, I joined um on the on the pub side of the bbpa as it was at the time so we had uh we had obviously brewing and pubs and pubs were a relatively new addition um following the beer orders at the end mm-hmm. of the 80s because uh, traditionally it had been the beer society before that so it was a brewing organization so the the creation of the the new pub companies at that time mm-hmm. was was quite a major development for the industry and and therefore changed the the makeup of, of the, the, the the bbpa as it is now so um so it was an interesting time. Yeah, it was really interesting. And, and, and who were the big names back then? You know, oh when you were gosh, are, yeah. they, are they still alive? Or are they gone now? Or there have been so many mergers, haven't there? Oh. There've been so many mergers and acquisitions since then. Grand Met, Bass. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think Diageo was still Guinness at that time. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, uh, Scottish and Newcastle. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's quite funny with Scottish and Newcastle, like there's such a f- strong family tree from them about the people that run casual dining. Um, you know, as I, I always think it'd be a lovely thing for someone to do because like everyone's linked. It's really quite funny. So someone like Robin Rowland um, at Yosushi, for example, I'm always CEO, I'm sure he was Scottish and Newcastle. And then there's a family tree kind of branching out from him, you know, as he gets, you know, something more senior in his career and you know, and all the talent that then he's, you know, helped create and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a great project for someone to to do all that. It'd be quite interesting. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, uh, yeah. there have been so many um, so many changes, really, since, mm. since then. But, um, yeah, and, and Whitbread, of course, uh, yep. they, they were members of the BBPA at that time, um, still had, well, had pubs then. So, so yeah, so there have been a lot of changes, um, which is making me feel really old, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, when you, when you said 25 years that you were meant to pause when I can jump in and go, oh, you don't look at it, and, you know, you, but you missed the chance. You just went straight <laughs> in. Um, and, then, and then what was the sort of hop skip and the jump forward to then where you are now? So, um, so yeah, so I worked, so I always worked for BBPA for, for quite a long time, 16 or 17 years, uh, various different policy issues, saw licensing law reform, smoking ban, all those really big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to work for the Portman Group uh, in um, 2013, mm-hmm. and uh, they were starting a project at that time to to work with um, more at grassroots level um, with local authorities and the police and to really try and promote some of the industry supported schemes like uh, National Pub Watch, um, mm-hmm. Best Bar None, Pub Flag, Community Alcohol Partnerships. So there was a real um, opportunity at that time to say, actually, you know, if you want to tackle alcohol related issues in the nighttime economy, these are some of the tools that you have to do it and to really try and um, and raise the profile of those schemes really with 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 local um sort of local decision makers so yeah. so yeah so I did that for six years um mm. we had a, you know we, we we had a number of events conferences we 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 met all the time 
uh, with um, with local partners, um, police and crime commissioners, um, and I I think you know it had a had a really good impact for the schemes as well. I think mm. you know they were able to hopefully grow a bit more on the back of that, um, but also more importantly, actually go into new areas and and make an impact and have a di- make a difference. So it was a really really good time, yeah. And, and at that it was it was just a great time um, at Portman Group. Uh, yeah with the team that we had then so it was it's fantastic and of course the Portman Group continues to do fantastic work yeah. so I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Portman Group yeah. um, and just just going back slightly because there's a couple of things you touched on that were really interesting and would be interesting for you know people to hear is you know just around things like the smoking ban and the licensing laws like and and also for the people that don't remember those things like what what happened you know what was going on at the time there yeah, I mean, these things take a long time to filter through into into actual legislation. Mm. So, you know, I think the industry had been lobbying even before I joined the industry. Had been lobbying around licensing law for a long time. Mm. So that at that at that point, when I first came in in the late nineties, it was, um, you know, the act had existed since nineteen sixty four, the current licensing act then, and obviously you, you might remember. I don't know if you do remember, but you know, pubs <laughs> used to be pubs used to used to be open um, from something like eleven yeah. in, in the morning till three in the afternoon. Then they would yeah. close, yeah. and then they would open again at around seven, and then they would close at um, sort of ten thirty. Yeah, um, at, with with half an hour drinking up time. So, and if you wanted to do um, sort of late night entertainment, you had to apply to a local authority. So the, the normal actual liquor license was to the magistrates at that time, and the then you had to apply to a local authority for what they called a public entertainment license so that you could play music and have dancing. And then you could open till two o'clock most of the country or three o'clock in the morning in London. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was kind of really very different to where it, we are now. It feels so odd. And I remember being a kid and, you know, and where I was from in Scotland, like pubs were pubs and it was all the kind of frosted windows and you were trying to catch a look, you know, as standing your tiptoes and, and see in and things like that. But I do remember, I think, my mum saying to me, because m- my mum and dad weren't really drinkers or whatever, and um, they, they kind of imparted on me, you know, that's where all the bad men are, you know, at that time of day, you know, <laughs> having a drink, you know. So that always kind of stuck in my head that it was a bit of a naughty thing to do. Um, but yeah, it just seems so odd now that that you know, it was almost a kind of siesta culture in a way, you know, that you had that break and then you opened again and you just you yeah. couldn't get in. I think what changed was actually the, the growth of food in pubs. Mm. Um, so I remember um, before the before the laws changed completely that you could actually, if a pub was serving food on a Sunday, you could you could be in there all afternoon as long as you were eating. Mm-hmm. So the, you know the, the industry, the shifts were coming, the cultural yeah. shifts were coming, which supported a change in the law. Basically, I think, mm. and, um, and then you know, in fact, the beer group back then. Um, I think worked with a group of MPs to actually look at what licensing uh, laws were like in other European countries to mm-hmm. inform the Home Office. It was at the request of the Home Office, I believe, at the time, mm-hmm. to actually look at how licensing regimes worked elsewhere mm-hmm. to bring some of those learnings back to the UK to start informing thinking about what a reformed licensing um, regime here would, would would look like. So, um, yeah. and that was that was in the say mid mid to late nineteen nineties. Wow. So. So and, and then the act came in in 2003. So it, it takes time for these things to filter through. And it's the same with smoking. I think there were calls around smoking probably again when I first came into the sector. Um, the actual ban uh, is 2007, 2008, um, somewhere around there. So Was Scotland first or was it Northern Ireland? 
no, I think Scotland was first. Yeah, because I seem to remember, because I did smoke up until recently, and I smoked at the time, and I remember, don't do it kids, by the way, um, but I remember being in Scotland, or maybe it was Northern Ireland, and it was like, I have to go outside. Do you, you know how wet and cold it is? <laughs> like, you know? yeah. I was like, oh God, and this is before anyone had any shelters or anything or areas or whatever, because like, no one really knew what to do. And then I guess, you know, like AI is going to be the death of us all. Um, at that time, that was seemingly the death of pubs. Um, at that point, that's what everyone was talking about. And I'd rather sit with four cans in the house and be able to smoke kind of attitude up in Scotland anyway. Um, yeah, so yeah, had a, had a huge impact. Absolutely, mm. had a really huge impact. Um, ever since I was in the industry at that time, there had always been around sixty thousand pubs, and it was it was a constant figure because even if pubs closed, new pubs opened, mm. it was always sixty thousand. And I think after the after the smoking ban, I think I think about ten thousand pubs were lost. Yeah, so wow. uh, somewhere in that region, because you know if you didn't have that outside space or you just didn't quite have the right layout you what they called landlocked at the time mm. it was very very difficult and um and, and I suspect that maybe as you say a lot of smokers who were used to going to the pub thought mm. well I don't want to go anymore perhaps and yeah. you know, that at home especially in the west of Scotland <laughs> it's driving rain and freezing cold and obviously vaping was uh not around at the not time around then. yeah but don't, I, don't I do, do that think, either kids I do I do think that if you know looking back I don't think anyone in the sector now would say that that wasn't, in, you know, actually a, a forward-looking move in the end. I don't yeah, think good, good anybody would want to go back to how it yeah. was. But um, the luck, the luxury of being in Paris and being able to light up, you know, <laughs> after your dinner was just fabulous. But I think, um, I think you know, we all of that, you know, probably food then was the catalyst to get people back and, and use people use pubs in a different way, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've just celebrated the beer groups just celebrated its um 30th anniversary. It was, it was came into being in uh, in 1993. So this is our 30th anniversary year. Um and yeah, just looking back at you know how the industry was in 1993 compared to where it is today, it, it has evolved massively um in terms of uh, inclusivity I think you know more more women go to the pub now um, than than used to back then potentially mm. um, you know the range the choice uh, even just that actually the way the pub the way the pubs look you know they're, they're oh yeah there's lights uh, you were talking about sort of trying to peep in yeah um, you know that that that's not you know they're very they're very transparent now I yeah. think and uh, totally totally different um but everybody loves a historic Victorian pub, absolutely. Yeah. But I think you know every, everything. Everything evolves, and even within those heritage spaces, things have changed as well. So, or, um, or even a, a council, a council estate pub where there's no windows is just completely bricked up. <laughs> there's a few of those up the road, but um, but I think yeah, I mean, in terms of innovation, I mean, I think All Bar One was a huge moment, you know, changing things for the better and. Gillian as well at Drake and Morgan. I think she did such great things with, with the team as well to make an even more modern version of, of All Bar One um, and, and accessible to everyone. And it was a, was a safe place to go, um, which, you know, pubs just weren't before, or at least they had the perception of not being. So, yeah, it's big big strides, actually. And not not that, I mean, it is long ago, but because we are our age, it only feels like five years ago, really, 1990. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's huge. 
And then, um, so finishing up at the Portman group and then it was the, the beer group came calling. Well, I, I spent three years actually at, 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 on the front line in London oh. um, working for a, a community interest company called Safer Business Network, which tackles business crime. Oh. So I was uh, I, I was on a maternity leave cover initially as chief executive. And then um, when my colleague came back, we did a job share. We were joint, joint CEOs. Uh-huh. Um, and that was really interesting for me because having worked sort of at, at probably, at, you know, at more kind of trade body, strategic level, then to be on the front line, to see some of the issues on the ground, working with police, working with local authorities, working with businesses mm. was really, uh, you know, really, really interesting time. And then COVID hit. Ah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so when I went in for the maternity cover, I hadn't really signed up for the whole pandemic deal, but um, yeah. I got it anyway. And <laughs> that was, uh, that was really, I mean, nobody knew, you know, who could have seen any of that coming. So, mm worked really closely with the mayor's office in London at that time to try and support licensed premises in the nighttime economy um, mm. through all of that and help them to understand what the rules were, what they could do, what they couldn't do, when they could open, when they could open and who, how many people could sit together. All of those rules, which now seem you know, bizarre when you look back on it, but at the time were, you know, to obviously to, to keep people safe. Um, what was a substantial meal? You know, the big Scotch egg, uh, debate, debate. And that's yep. <laughs> um, so that that was that was kind of you know, trying to help businesses negotiate that um, and to also make use of some of the things that I think local authorities were trying to do to support businesses at that time so whether that mm. was kind of pavement licensing and you know so that they could have people outside and to open that up a bit um, and I think it led you know to maybe some some different approaches Mm-hmm. For the sector, because mm-hmm. licensing and planning have always been, you know, sometimes problematic at local level, and I yeah. think from local authorities, it, it kind of made them see that there were opportunities there, not just in terms of for the businesses themselves, but you know, for the for the local authority, for the local community, um, and and I think that probably brings me on to one of the, the key things that came out of COVID. Really, is how important our pubs and our social as a social space are to local communities um absolutely vital and people really really missed them when they were closed not just because they couldn't go and buy a pint but because mm-hmm. they couldn't be with other people and they couldn't be connected mm-hmm. socially um you know and even just being with your friends but being surrounded by other people that you don't necessarily know is 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 a good thing and i think that's what people really really missed um Definitely. COVID. and and i think we forget that at our peril now you know how important pubs are to to uh, to us as human beings but mm. to 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 our sense of community definitely and just going back a wee sec there joint ceoing how did you find that because there'll be a lot of people listening in you know executive positions and you know these things are talked about but it's really hard to execute brilliantly so what 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 did yeah. you learn from that we were trailblazers, yeah. My colleague Hannah and I. Um, so we we had we we have very different skill sets mm-hmm. actually. Um, Hannah Hannah's background is is local authority, and um, she had worked already worked for the organisation for a number of years. So um, she very much you know hands on that practical um, approach. Really uh, dynamic, wonderful uh, lady Hannah is, and um, I I was I am strategic. Hannah's strategic as well. Um, but I had a different skill set and I had yep. a, 
you know, I can kind of see the potential for the business. So between us, we grew the business. Um, so it was in four local authorities when I when I came in, and it's now in about sixteen because we wow. found we found, this is in London. So that's fifty percent of London boroughs basically now have a business crime reduction partnership, and that's because we mm. found a way of working with business improvement districts, with local authorities, with police. We found an entry offer that was we were able to kind of offer the service and to support businesses and and you know ultimately tackle crime because um yeah. you know business crime is kind of seen as something separate but yeah. people committing crime in businesses are people committing crime generally in the local community yeah. and, but you can catch them in businesses yeah um, that that's the difference and that's the kind of conversation we were having with with the police so I, um yeah and I, I mean in terms of that I mean I'm, I'm just now imagining some kind of Netflix series true crime thing with the two of you going out going out and you know bagging the criminals but I I, I was so naive when I come into hospitality well, arguably now maybe but back then I was working with Yo Sushi and our HR director Suresh was like you know out catching people you know stealing from the business and I I just was completely oblivious that something like that would happen you know I think I've always been brought up reasonably well and things like that and you know knew right from wrong and I've never been in I've never been in that situation I've had to or anything like that but luckily but yeah I just was shot and you know people were you know either taking food or they were taking this and you know, in general but other places taking food they're taking money they're taking money out on company credit cards they're doing that I just was I got and I was actually quite interested and, and fascinated by it and between Demelza who went in as kind of the uh, sort of ops security type thing and also Suresh you know it was that a little bit of a team but they were watching CCTV at night and like waiting for people and it was just like oh my god this is like another world from yeah you know the inner workings of our company but this, I mean, this is why, as I say, for me, it was an eye opener to be on ah. that very front line because I just hadn't realised how much crime was out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, it is when you know, it's like, oh gosh, you know, um, yeah, it's quite, quite concerning. Um, but you know, there, there, there are lots of people working really hard to, um, to, to tackle it, and I think that's, that's the thing. And I, I, you know, I've done a lot of work in the nighttime economy over the years, and particularly in my time at the Portman Group, and I mm. think. Sometimes there, there's a perceptions gap actually in terms of the local community, local residents don't always see what the council is doing, how they're working with the industry, the schemes that we have in this sector don't always see that. And they don't, so they have a perception of what it's like to go out in the nighttime economy and that's yeah. unsafe. And they don't always fully understand actually how much is going on behind the scenes to actually keep people safe. And we, we did a lot of work as well when I was in London on women's safety, uh, women's night safety in particular. Um, and my colleague Sarah Walker, also at Safer Business Network, leads on some of that work. And that's the Mayor's um, Women's Night Safety Charter in London. And to try and get businesses behind that and to really um, you know, work together to 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 make sure that you know, women are are safe when they go out. And it's uh, it's a big issue everywhere, that, that one. So, um, yeah. you know, I think lots of other cities are following that model from London as well at the moment. Yeah. And it's, it's all about partnership in the end. And, and a couple of things on that. A, is there a way people who maybe aren't involved in that stuff could get involved, operators? Like, what's the easiest way for them to 
get involved in that? Probably, I mean, the easiest way is actually to to either to contact the uh, the, the mayor's office, um, mm. NICSAR, um, or to, um, to to go to go through Safer Business Network, who are delivering some of that project work for the for the mayor's office. So um, that's uh, just www safebusinessnetwork.org <laughs> great I'll put it in the podcast notes and did you work with Amy LeMay on some stuff yes yeah uh-huh. I worked with Amy uh, yeah we worked work really closely with Amy uh, all through the the pandemic and beyond on the women's life safety charter yeah. as well yeah I've never had the pleasure I mean I listen to her every weekend uh, on the radio but uh, I've never had the pleasure and sometimes I think she's up very late twittering and I think god you're only getting four hours sleep before you go <laughs> into your show <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I think she'd be a fascinating person to talk to. But no, that's that's great, um, and lots of great work. And I think when you're doing something that's doing so much good, you know, it's just a. I know it's a terrible thing that you're confronting and and having to do to help, but at the same time, feeling like you're helping, and it's not just a job that doesn't matter. Um, I think it's a lovely thing to do. So that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think we're going to see more night night stars, for want of a better word, or yeah. night coordinators. You know, there's there's obviously there's with Bristol have them, um, not Manchester, Birmingham have just appointed one, and I think where you get metro mayors and more of those have been announced, you will get more and more uh, nighttime uh, economy coordinators, and so you know that's definitely uh, a trend to watch. I think in terms of the sector, but it can only be good. It can only be good for sure. Um, and uh, and then yeah, then EPPBG. By then, yeah, well, yes. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to obviously to apply for the role last year, uh, which I did, um, and I was lucky enough to be offered it. So I'm I'm absolutely delighted because in a way I feel like my whole working life has almost led to this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've got I've I've got I've got the the, the industry background, uh, you know, event management, all the sorts of things that I need to to do yeah. in this role um I have had experience of which is is great um but it's a you know I have I have big shoes to follow um Paul Huggerty ha- has done a fantastic job over the last nine years so I've only I've only been here, here doing it properly since February so I've still got, got a lot to learn and a yeah, way yeah. but it is an absolutely wonderful job and working with fantastic people in the industry and and, and also with the the MPs and the peers as yeah. well so what is it? What is the all-party group? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so an all-party group is actually, um, it's it's a, it's a group that MPs join. So it's the, M- the MPs join at an all-party group and they're usually subject-specific or sector-specific and they will have a, a particular interest in that area. So the, um, the all-party beer group is supposed to be the biggest, you won't be surprised to hear it, biggest all-party group in Parliament. Uh-huh. Um, and it's not really surprising because actually we have as an industry such a huge reach. Um, on average, each MP has 80 pubs in their constituency and two breweries. Uh-huh. So, you know, in terms of, you know, we know how, how significant the industry is at national level in terms of the economy, but at local level, equally, you know, really, really important to... to to local areas, employing local people, supporting local supply networks, um, and providing that community and social space as well. So, I think MPs really recognise that um, that you know that, that the industry is very important locally mm-hmm. for them. So, um, so that's I, I, I'm sure that is why membership is so high. Well, um, I know I also is is interesting and is kind of cool, right? 
Yeah, and they like beer. Oh, yeah. That's, I was, I was, that's where I was heading, but I didn't want to see it in case I got sued or something. Yeah, um, really, <laughs> it reflects all of the things that, you know, we love about this sector, doesn't it, Mark? You know, it's the it's the, it's the the social, convivial um, side of it. But mm. in terms of my role, you know, I'm about, A, celebrating the sector and everything that it is about and all of those positives, but B, it's about educating MPs as well. It's, it's, uh, so it's celebrate and educate because it's just about making sure they're aware of the issues that the industry faces, you know, and mm. it's providing, you know, we're supported, we're lucky enough to be supported by our industry member companies. Um, and it's an opportunity uh, for, for MPs to actually talk to people in, in the front line to hear about what the issues are, to get the detail on that and to really understand it. So if things are coming across there, their desk or you know they're 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 in a debate about something they're informed and they're able to make you know informed contributions to that which is is really important for the sector a creative agency for the hospitality sector saved by robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling from scottish restaurant of the year sugar boat to tip jar the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. And what's the biggest things going on at the moment for you? What's the big sort of rocks you've got to shift in the next few months? What's the in, in terms tasks? Of- Oh, big task. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the key challenge that we're all facing at the moment is, is, you know, the, the, the economy and um, energy prices, obviously uh, are still a big factor for, for the industry. And, um, and then, yeah, this is a very, it's a highly regulated, highly taxed sector. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the discussions that the industry tends to have with MPs are around those issues and, and how we can, address those and that, mm-hmm. that quite often there are no easy solutions to that you know these are long-term issues and it's about finding sometimes it's small steps so things like business rates you know I think everyone would accept it would be fantastic to look at overall reform of business rates mm-hmm. but it, it's a huge huge task um, and so it's a moment it's about well actually how can we alleviate the burden and is it through uh, you know, extending business um, rate relief and and so on and so forth. So it's, you know, it sounds like, yeah, let's just reform business rates. But when you hear yeah. the MPs discuss it, it's just not that easy. Yeah. And so um, it takes time. Yeah. But the important thing to stress is that these discussions are always ongoing, um, mm. you know, and that, that it is, and it is a discussion. Um, and and sometimes you know sometimes there can be outcomes from that positive outcomes yeah. which is, is important. And what about you then? So what does a week in the life of you look like? And what you know how does it all work in your role? And how do you interact with all these people you've got to interact with? Because you know you've got quite a lot of stakeholders to manage. Yes, yeah, a lot of stakeholders. So I you know I I, I like to see my stakeholders. I like mm. to communicate with them, talk to them and listen. I, I'm a big listener. I like to listen and to understand, you know, uh, what people's issues what people's issues are, what they would like from the beer group, 
you know, um, what, what are we doing well? What could we do more of? You know, that that sort of thing. Um, so I, I do I do like to communicate with with the members. Um, so because I've only been here a few months, I've, I have been, you know, traveling around trying to see people and visit them and meet meet people that I haven't met before as well and just start to build those relationships. So I'm very, very keen to do that. We've had so sometimes we have things called um, so sometimes we will have um you know, dinners uh, where, you know, people can attend and discuss issues. Um, so sometimes my job is, you know, it goes from sort of high level strategy discussions to taking people's menu orders for dinner, for dinners, oh. which is it's quite, and everything in between. Um, so it's, you know, it is, it is a whole range of, of things. Um, you know, we have regular, we have a steering group, an industry steering group, and we have obviously our MP um, executive as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have to make sure that we meet with the MP executive at least once a year because we have to we have to renew our parliamentary groupness so that we don't actually cease to exist. So you have mm-hmm. to every year uh, at least have an AGM and um, and then yeah that has to be registered and you have to then you can go forward for another twelve months. So if you don't have that, you actually cease to exist. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. There are there are a lot of rules around all party groups, and in fact, um, you may have seen that uh, that they've been under scrutiny a little bit recently with um, Westminster the Westminster accounts stuff that Sky have done, and it's just you know there's a there's no party group for pretty much everything, um, but obviously it's about making sure that we're all acting transparently and and you know we we absolutely. Um, conform to to everything that we need to do and more and we are a very long-standing all-party group so um you know I think you know we, we would be one of the best practice examples in terms of APPGs but there there are a lot of them and yeah. you know uh, and, and in a way that's a that's actually a good thing I mean I've been looking at some of the other all-party groups that might have an interest in some of our our in you know our yeah. issue as a sector whether or not there's opportunities for, for us to to work together in certain yeah. areas and and sort of um you know actually bring a different perspective to that issue as well um so i think there's lots of opportunities to work with some of the other all party groups too on on some of the things that matter to us as a sector and are you going like sexy places are you going to like number 10 and you're going to those of lords and you're going to do all that stuff or um, where does well, that work yeah, and yeah, not number. I have been to number ten in the past, but not ah. in this one. But um, yeah, I've been uh, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either for events or meetings. Um, so, and they are, uh, you know, it's it's such a it's such a beautiful place. I never take it for granted. I've I've, I've been going in and out all of all of my career yeah. actually. Uh, but I every time I go in, it doesn't really matter. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, still yeah. feels pretty. <laughs> special yeah. pretty straight I've only, I've only been house of lords once um it was with hospitality rising and it turned out one of the boys i was went to a normal school but one of the boys in my school uh became a lord oh, uh, wow. so he uh in my class and um he invited me and wanted to all about it and all that and it was quite funny though because you walked up and then there's the police with the guns and all that and that still was a bit jarring when you're british you know but like whoa um, and you go in but anyway I had to go and buy a pair of shoes because I didn't even own a pair I've just had silly trainers so and then I said to him I said you cost me a pair of shoes to come and see you and he was going um, oh you didn't need to bother he goes you could just wear whatever you like and I was like what and he's like oh yeah you were just coming in to see me in the canteen he's like no problem but it was around the time 
I think when Liz Truss was getting sort of moved on and it, there was an edge mm. to the place, you could just feel it. And there was like little groups discussing, everyone's glued to tellies and it was just like, and then he was, you know, pretty much sort of not exactly saying what was going on, but he was sort of, you know, alluding to things. I was just like, wow, this is just unbelievable. Um, so it's just a different world. Like, it's just not where I'm from. You know, I was just so captivated by the whole thing. But the thing that did make me laugh, though, was a little bit like primary school where they've all got their little peg uh, with their name on, you know, that you can put your, put your thing up. And it's like, okay, this is like I've been back at school. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit, a bit crazy. And then in terms of the big challenges that we are facing as an industry, you know, you seeing any signs of any solutions coming through at least on energy or tax or is there any green shoots at all that you're seeing? I think, um, I, I think it's difficult to say at this stage, mm. but you know, the, the, the autumn statement is going to be quite crucial for, for the industry. Um, and I think, you know, there may be, there may be some things that are, uh, you know, hopefully more positive for us in in that one. In terms of energy, I think things are improving. But if you got locked into those deals, um, you know, around sort of the end of last year, last autumn, yeah, and you're still you're locked in for two years or something mm. at the height of the market, that's a real issue. And yeah, I think M- MPs recognise that, but it's contract law, so it's yeah. it's very difficult to um to actually do anything about that um unless unless Ofgem was to decide that they would voluntarily do something about that um it's it's a it's a real tricky one um but but yeah I I think you know there's been some really positive discussions around apprenticeships for example Mm -hmm. and um making sure that um that that we're really able to leverage the the, the apprenticeship levy and to, to pass that on to to businesses in the sector in a in a you know in a kind of maybe a more dynamic way than is possible at the moment just a bit mm. more flexibility around that so um, like give it give it all to hospitality rising is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> but certainly you know to 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 make sure that um so so that you know sort of pub companies for example that have tentative pubs models are able to make sure that pubs can access that mm-hmm. that that's heavy money so it's um yeah so I think I think you know there are some there are some positives um and it's just it's just really about making sure that we as an industry are doing everything that we can possibly do in in terms of you know maximizing what's available to us and then then looking you know taking a step back and saying well actually it would really help if we could do this and and it's making those arguments then to to government and then I guess, I don't guess, but pubs and breweries uh, in the UK are unique to the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are the benefits you're seeing there? So, A, what is its impact on the economy um, in a positive sense and how it's contributing? And also, you know, for us looking at tourism, export, all these things, you know, is it a draw um, when, when, when people come to the country? So, yeah, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you'll know the figures from BBPA. I think the last one I saw was that I think pubs and beer and pubs add something like twenty six billion pounds to the economy every year. So it's it's huge, um, and and we employ almost a million people. So you know that that that's 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 really really significant. That's the first thing. But I I think um, I think you know obviously 
beer and pubs is a huge tourist attraction yeah. and part of it's kind of part of the fabric of the UK. It's one one of the things that people want to do when they come to the UK. I think it's one one of the top three things that people want to do is to go to a British pub um, or any pub. Yeah. <laughs> a pub in the devolved nations. I'm not being, you know, but um, yeah, any, you know, they want to go to a pub and 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 try a pint of beer. That's what people mm. want to do, mm. and it, it's 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 part of our kind of national identity, really. Uh. Um, and and I think one of yeah, obviously we sort of talked about pubs and how important they are to communities, but but brewing similarly, um, extremely important to local communities as a as an employer, and even you know it doesn't matter whether you're a small brewer or a family brewer or a, a large global brewer, hugely important and rooted in those communities. Um, but brewing is actually, a, and it maybe maybe we don't recognise this enough, but it's it's a it's a massive manufacturing success story in this country. Um, you know, it's 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 a really um, it's a really recognisable product. It's 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 gone through all kinds of different um, evolutions. Really, you know, we're seeing we've seen a massive growth in in craft beer, um, obviously, and and even everything, even the trappings of that, everything that goes with that, from the kind of really cool designed cans that that comes in, you know. Those, those are are um, huge developments, really, and I think I think cask ale is still beloved. You know, I think it has its core um, support, and I do feel that you know there is a crossover with that craft market. There's yeah. got to be a core of people there that would would love to come over to cask if you could just. Yeah, uh, uh, well, you, it's really interesting you say that. So years ago. Uh, well, when I started my agency after I left Pret years ago, Fuller's was my first uh, client. And, you know, we were doing like brand DNAs for them and marketing, blah, blah. So as part of that, Darkstar came onto the scene. And I remember doing the brand DNA for Darkstar. And James, who's now at Lakeside Brewery, Lakedown Brewery, with uh, Roger Daltrey and his son. Um, so James, fabulous, run Darkstar. And we had this debate for a long time and we were just next to Monument in, in one of the Fuller's pubs and we were in a room and we'd, we debated for ages what way did he go? Did he go craft? Eh, sorry, did he go cask or did he go sort of postmodern? And I was like, cask all day long and I think there's very few brands like Darkstar that were really sort of championing cask enough in a modern way that it was like, you're the guys to do it. You know, we're trying to kind of really get them behind it. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the way it ended up. And then it all changed because Asahi got them and da-da-da. But um, it was just that moment. I, I Then Cask became kind of really dear to my heart. And I just wonder if it is a technology or a repositioning step of Cask in general, which would be, oh, busking here slightly an analogy, but it might be the change from cigarettes to, to vaping. Like just how could you package it up as a more modern thing? It's not the kind of frothy old man belly, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's, 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 there's another way to do it. And yeah. um, I, I I would love to take on that, you know, to, to get really get stuck into it because I think you're right. It is beloved and it should be hopefully not lost. No, um, no, it would you be. Know, for the next generations coming through, no matter whether a percentage of them are drinking or not, there'll still be a bunch of them drinking and you would want them to have that joy of having cask, but maybe it just needs to be in a slightly 
different way i'm not sure how but yeah i mean there's a there's a great campaign which has been piloted at the moment called drink fresh and um, oh yeah i think that it is you know with, with all these things you know in a way we're a bit of a fashion industry you know things come in and out of fashion yeah. and um you know craftdale's having a moment but i remember when cider had a moment as well um cider with ice yeah. about 10 15 years ago magnus yeah magnus <laughs> so um oh, just, just on magnus very quickly i was i used to work for lastminute.com and uh we used to go out all the time in victoria in fact labor was beneath us in victoria street and we used to go out we're just 26 all of us and we would just all get drunk all the time and my colleagues all drunk cider and they would walk out of a pub if it didn't have Magnus or Boomers and served with the ice and you're just like, all you guys are really good marketers. Like, <laughs> like get a grip of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know, amazing. But I, I think actually when you think about, you know, you think about younger generation, I have a 17 year old and um, they don't really drink that much. No. You know, they're not they're not big drinkers. Um, but they like to they like to socialize and they like a nice setting for that. And and they will they will try things, but they're very into health and natural products and um you know organic things and you know this is just my own experience but yeah for sure you know i think cask ticks all of those boxes actually Mm -hmm. and it's just a question of you know how do you how do you kind of open up that experience to maybe you know the the generations that are coming poured into an empty bottle of prime (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and charge 20 quid for it people would buy it wouldn't they <laughs> no no <laughs> the current climate anyway. but, um, no but it, i think you know I, it, it's a, it's a strong product and it's it's mm. a heritage product and you know it's important to um yeah it's important that we we keep it and just thinking about costs and stuff then just as you've touched on it the old cozy living um not to make light of it at all because it's hitting every one of us like what are you seeing from you know, the, the sort of stakeholders that you have around that subject, because I was on a, a call this morning with one of my clients up in Scotland and we were talking about, you know, you're getting hit with costs always, but then your customers got less to spend. You need to put your prices up potentially, but there is a threshold of where they will just opt out of that extra drink or that starter or whatever it's going to be. So what's going on with all that kind of, economics and elasticity and all that jazz what's what's happening there it's yeah it's um yeah i mean the cost of doing business is just increasing um or has increased um so it's i think i mean from what i hear trading is pretty buoyant actually um at, at, at the present time mm. um whether that translates down into profitability that's a different you know different mm. issue but but i think um and i saw a stat you may have seen this the other day that 60% of people apparently don't have a mortgage and 40% do. Oh, okay. Apparently. Yeah, I was surprised. But when you think about that 40%, you know, they're likely to be younger. Um, they're likely to be, you know, people that are with families, um, people that would would use our industry, you know, the ones that would go out for Sunday lunch, would, you know, go for a pint with friends, you know. Mm. So, you know, that, that's the kind of cohort that is, is being squeezed. But, um, but I've also seen reports that actually the squeeze isn't quite happening yet um because there's there's a lot of people in sort of tied into fixed um terms mm. with their mortgages and that isn't actually people are not going to be really um kind of coming off those deals until next year yeah. so it's next year that we might see um 
you know more issues in terms of trading and so on but except we just don't it, it's it you know it's, it's really difficult to to kind of predict these things we, we don't know where inflation is going it seems to be going in the right direction at the moment it needs to go down more but you know it's, it's going in the right direction and then that has that that sort of um effect on interest rates as well so it's really difficult to predict at the moment i think yeah where the well, economy is going to go it's tricky it's tricky but yeah i just think there's there's a squeeze at all sides and you just have so much sympathy for the the, the you know the, the operators out there and suppliers as well and the customers of course um you know that's uh, tricky and i think what was happening was in the call this morning like where i'm from in the west of scotland the, the guys trade there and it's kind of the petri dish really of the cost of living crisis like you know if, if you want to take a, the heart of you know where it's hard um, where manufacturing's gone and did it and all that stuff and you know you're you're and people are moaning that you know pints are getting towards four pounds in that neck of the world right so um whereas in brighton you know you're lucky if you get change yeah. at a tenner um yeah. so yeah it's, it's it's really really tough and then what about the recruitment side of things you know what are you hearing um you know in the group as well uh on recruitment and also attracting the next generation like we're talking about cast and cask um you know, for people to come into the sector as well and the perceptions of the sector? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are skills shortages, obviously, but it's a bit of a mixed picture. I mean, I think, you know, obviously in London and the southeast, um, those are quite acute, um, but there are other parts of the country where perhaps they were less reliant on um, on, on on people coming in to work in the sector from, from parts of Europe and so on. They were less reliant on that, so they're not seeing perhaps quite the same pressures mm -hmm. so it's it's a you know it's a kind of it's a it's a mixed picture but i think overall yeah there's a you know it's it is it is an issue definitely um but the work that you're doing you know is is really important and i think it's you know trying to explain to young people actually what the opportunities are in this sector mm. um that you know you can go in you can you can just go in at really quite a, quite a sort of entry level, but you can work your way up and you can you can learn skills on the way, and you know you you can end up running your own pub or yeah. become a head brewer or whatever it is that yeah. you you want to do because those opportunities are there, yeah. um, and it's really just being able to to communicate that and explain that to to younger people I think coming into the sector and I and I think you know some companies have had a lot of success as well in attracting older people into the sector too which is quite interesting yeah. sort of the the government is keen to get the over 50s back into work mm. um and and again our, our industry can be quite attractive uh yeah. to older workers too because it's like it has that flexibility that yeah. part-time opportunity um sociability so, as well absolutely yeah. Yeah. and so there, yeah. there is there, there is it is a sector that appeals I think across mm. the board wherever you are in your career wherever you know whether you're just starting out or whether you're you want to wind down or try something different I think you know there's, there's lots and lots of opportunities and it's just really making sure that that we can communicate that as a sector and, and promote that effectively. Yeah. Well it's interesting what you said there about you know the, the opportunities I mean we're sort of most of the way through really planning year two for hospitality rising and there'll be some big changes that hopefully means more people will want to get on board but um just in terms of the creative concepts and the campaigns and da -da -da, one of the thoughts we've kind of i'm sharing it now and someone will nick it maybe but um one of the thoughts we had kind of in the chamber that we you know might you know pull the trigger on at some point is um this start here go anywhere thought um which uh, Kenny Blair at Buzzworks, um, who's just been such a 
supporter and mentor for me really on on the campaign you know I, I, I think that could be a cracker and then the other one you touched on it earlier actually like way back and I love this phrase about fall into hospitality because every single person you speak to says oh I fell into I wasn't meant to do this you know and 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 here they are 20 years later and I just think there's something quite funny about that. I just quite like the idea because there actually is of the audience that we're predominantly got. And it's not that we're writing off anyone over 30. It's just this, we've got to focus with the means that we have. So the biggest flippable population is, is a 16 to 30-year-old, uh, really, and entry-level jobs, and we can just switch them out. So with that, um, so, so many of us, like, you know, when you ask a lot of kids at school as well, what do you want to do? I don't know, you know, and we just need to get the don't knowers, you know, um, and get them in. And then once they're in, they'll stay, you know. And then I was talking to Rory Sutherland, um, who's this, you know, brand genius guy. And he works for Ogilvy. He's one of the top guys there. And he writes for Spectator and blah, blah. But he was really keen on lobbying the government to get people if they've worked in hospitality for two years they would then get their fees paid for uni or college or whatever but actually there'll be so much so many people in that that will then just choose to part-time learn or just won't do it at all or once they're in yeah. they're making the money and and I think the things that we have to get across in year two are all the things you said about flexibility and just knocking down all the barriers one by one and then the big one I really want to get into and, and we're, we're starting trying to get information together for this is then talk about um it's surprising how good the money actually is and from talking to some operators you know and, and you know sort of averaging it out and stuff you know there's like some kitchen porters getting you know 30 grand plus with all the trunk and all the rest of it and um when you see that you're going and then there was one example was a bar guy was was leaving somewhere and, and going to um you know, it's a really funky Chinese brand. And he was going to get 42 grand for just being not a supervisor, not a thing, like, you know, normal bar person, you know? And you're going, God, that's more than I made most of my career until, you know, kind of got up the chain, you know? So you're going, poof, great, you know? So I, I think there's a lot to be excited about there. Um, So a couple of things, because I know you'll need to go soon, and I really want to ask you the fun questions because I want to see you squirm on some of them. Um, So, um the kind of last couple of things really are what's next for um, the group and what's next for you? So I'm really excited about um, of sort of developing my programme of events now for the next 12 months mm. or so and, and where we might, where we might sort of land with that. So, um, so thinking about all of the, the, the sort of the key themes that I have around the economy, for example, and um, community, social responsibility, mm. um, in, in sustainability obviously massive for the sector yeah. and and innovation which we've touched on in how this industry sort of adapts so it's about what can we do to kind of showcase some of those themes um i've had a chat with uh live who um who uh, represent live music venues you know the importance of pubs to kind of local musicians mm. um, as a sort of circuit for, for, for bands and so yeah. on, where, where many people have started out in the past. And yeah. it's different now that you can put your stuff on SoundCloud or whatever, but you know, nothing, <laughs> nothing kind of beats seeing live music. Um, yeah. Well, to, I'm, I'm, to be fair on that point, I mean, Adele was pubs, uh, Lewis Capaldi was pubs, uh, yeah. Jerry Cinnamon was pubs. 
yeah so, more, so, so you know more, that's you know. Uh, and that's an example of you know maybe working with um like another organization who have an interest have, have a similar interest to us mm. in kind of you know preserving um live music venues and pubs are very much part of that tradition so yeah. i'd like to do something around that sounds um, fun like to do something around history and heritage of brewing and you know the, how how it is a, a manufacturing success story as well yeah. as we as we've discussed um something around that definitely maybe something around employment and training opportunities as well in the sector so, um, so kind of trying to showcase that and um and anything we can do as well to um we do we do a lot of work with pub aid um who who obviously um have their own awards around pubs that do so much in the community and raise a lot of money for charity and it's really important to remember how how much of that pubs do and there are some fantastic pubs out there we had the awards back in March um, and MPs are giving the, given the opportunity to nominate a pub in their constituency. Mm. We had 200 nominations, um, uh, which is, is, you know, is, is, is fairly good going. And do you we, think there's a value exchange there? There's like, I'll vote for you if I get a wee freebie. Is that what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's just recognition, you know, I think it's just recognising how amazing pubs can be yeah. at the heart of their communities and pub aid yeah. is fantastic vehicle for that and and really shines a light on on what some of some of these businesses do in their yeah. community um so yeah i mean the, the winners are all on the pub pub aid website so um can have a look at some some of their you know some of their amazing work there but we, we, we narrowed it down to 15 finalists and then there were different categories of winner and then there were about five categories and then one overall winner so it's and and it's it's quite all in it's quite awesome really it's just you know very inspiring stuff <laughs> nice and then the last sort of serious question i guess is um the future of pub and brewing industry you know what are you hoping for that I think I think the future is bright you know mm. I, I really do because I think you know people will always hopefully always want to drink beer um and 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 yeah the beer category the choice that we have really is just incredible and and um and kind of continuing to grow growth of low and no alcohol beers as well we didn't even mention that but that's yeah. that's becoming you know that that's a really big success story as well mm. Um, and, and pubs, as we said, you know, those social spaces are so, so important and they will evolve. And in 30 years time, the beer group will be you know, celebrating 60 years, hopefully. And yeah. they'll be thinking, wow, look what pubs were like 30 years ago. And they're nothing like that now. And yeah. so who knows how it will go. But there's there's emerging technology. You know, there's there's all kinds of things that pubs will integrate into the way they provide their customer service. And I think it's really exciting. Um, and, you know, workspaces as well, the way we, the way we work after COVID has completely changed. Um, you know, providing that kind of work environment away from home. I think some pubs are already doing that. So yeah. it's, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing how it all develops. And I, I think, you know, there will always be people that want to get together in in a pub and be with other people and i think that is ultimately the key to our survival really yeah well funnily enough just on that note um i was speaking at a thing the other day i hadn't really done a speech for a while i hadn't really been up one for a while and i was a bit stressed out by the time i was finished and although i've given up drinking alcohol since january that's the, uh, the only thing i wanted to do was go to a pub so got back to brighton Went to my favourite pub, uh, the Westbourne and Hove, and had a few lucky saints, and just 
that that's what you needed and it doesn't matter whether you're drinking or you're not drinking or whatever it is I just needed to go and then you sort of know some of the staff and then you meet some old neighbours and there you are and, uh, and, met, and ended up meeting a mate he popped down and that night was destined for me going home having a microwave meal watching something on Netflix doing emails and going to bed and just having that option as a lifeline you know to just go and decompress and chill and just switch off for a bit and it was so lovely um to do it um and uh yeah and you know thanks to all the low and no people out there um that are that are doing that because you know you've you've given us a well not that i'm being down on it but you're going as a better option than caliber <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> uh, yeah and, and too many diet cokes um right some fun stuff then um that i think you might uh Sort of contest a little bit, but anyway, let's try. So, favorite city to eat in? Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, actually, because I'm not far down the road from you, uh, mm. and I do really like Brighton. Yeah, <laughs> Brighton's got some great restaurants. Um, so I'm not saying that just because you live there, but I do, <laughs> I do, I do go to Brighton quite a lot. Have you got a favorite restaurant in Brighton? Yeah. It's my favorite. Oh, gosh. Put me on the spot there now. I can't think of any. <laughs> <laughs> the last one I went to, I went to the Ivy in the Lanes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was quite nice. Yeah. Um, but there's just around some, the corner from you. Yeah, there's some great pubs though. Um, with cricketers in Brighton, I like. Sure. And, um, yeah, you mentioned the Westbourne. There's, there's some brilliant pubs in Brighton. Mm -hmm. um, and the North Lanes, the comedian the comedia's nice, actually, the cafe there yeah. as well. Um yeah. And that there are lots of like there are lots of little artisan cafes that have sprung up around North Lane as well that are really yeah. good for vegan and vegetarian. Yeah, so I like I like those too. Yeah. And have you got a favourite hotel? Favourite hotel? Hmm. I think I, I stay in Premier Inns a lot, but I wouldn't say they were my. <laughs> so well, they're, they're consistently consistent. <laughs> consistently consistent. Yeah. Um. I don't have one off the top of my head, no, but I've stayed in some really nice ones um, sort of in my time. I can't remember any of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having too many beers, researching for the role. Um, and uh, have you, right, this is where you're going to squirm. Favourite beer? Favourite beer? You can't ask me that. I can't ask you that. I've mm -hmm. asked you that. I know, I know. I can't. I, or or favourite <laughs> type, maybe? Uh, we can narrow it down. I can narrow it down, yeah. I get well, I can tell you what I'm I can tell you what I'm quite into at the moment. Uh -huh. Obviously, I love all of my members' beers <laughs> equally fantastic, and I drink all of them. Um, but my favorite <laughs> at the moment is Flint Eye, which is Green King. Oh, okay. Flint I don't lager. know that one. Hoppy lager. Um, really, really nice. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, I'll have you look for that. Um, because the one I'm wanting because I'm not drinking out the one I really want to try is just to check it out was uh, Brewdog Blackheart just to see the Pepsi taste challenge mm -hmm. um, but I haven't been able to do that um, so being very self-restrained um, do you have a favourite pub? oh gosh there's so many <laughs> so many but I went to Stratford-upon-Avon recently uh -huh. and I spent a really lovely evening with my husband in the Dirty Duck in um, Stratford-upon-Avon and Brilliant. that was fabulous yeah why was it fabulous because it's a, it's quite an old pub and uh -huh. it's right next to for anyone who knows Stratford it's very close to the uh the, the, the theatre there uh -huh. um so they get they get the actors in there quite regularly I think and have done 
for probably several centuries. <laughs> wow. There's loads and loads of pictures of all the different um, RSC Oh, yeah, yeah. All the lovies. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's got two bars and there's a, at the, the, the side, there's like more of a snug bar and that's where mm. we were. And it was really, it was really lovely. And the staff were fantastic. Most mm. of them are students, I think, probably at Warwick University. And they were so mm. friendly and chatty. Um, and we just had a really great night in there. So yeah. that, at the moment, that is my kind of, my warm pub, my warm yeah. pub memory. Um, but but there, there are some, I've got some amazing local pubs, actually. I live in Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. So I'll give a shout out to The Lamb in Eastbourne, which is mm-hmm. a really fabulous harvey's pub yeah really nice. nice oh harvey's lovely great okay well i'll love you and leave you i'll give you seven minutes of your life back and uh i hope you put it to good use but thanks so much for catching up today and i'm sorry it took so long um but it's been a real pleasure to talk to you so thanks so much rita thank you mark thank you very much for having me So there we go. That was Rita King, who is the Honorary Secretary to the All-Party Parliamentary Beer Group. And I'll put some notes in the podcast notes of where to find Rita, get in touch, get involved, and also to share with your peers some of the great links for things like the Portman Group and the Safer Group as well, to just make sure that everyone in our care and hospitality has the best, safest time possible. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity and serve guests better. Just visit vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic and get in touch with the team right away. That's vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for another podcast and I'm really looking forward to the next time we're together. Next time, we'll hear from many, many more interesting people with top tips, tricks and tales that will make your brand boom.